0: it's day 24 of heart dive 365 i'm your bsf kanoi welcome to the heart dive podcast <laughs> bsf bible study friend in case you were wondering we are on day 24 welcome back Hey, did anybody notice that there were some new ads yesterday on your videos? For those of you who are willing to let the ads play, thank you very much. And I did notice that there were some new ones, so it seems as though those filters are working. Also, did you all get your new email from Holly? I did yesterday, and so that tells me that I did the right thing by going and clicking on that link and making sure that I am signed up for the newsletter. Now if you did not hear the announcement yesterday, we do need everybody to go in and re-sign up. you do want to receive the newsletter every single day. If you have not gotten the email, there is a link in the description box or the show notes that will guide you there. That link is heartdive.org newsletter if you cannot find it. Also, I wanted to say a big thank you or mahalo to everybody who has been stepping up and going into the comments and helping me out by liking comments and by guiding people, telling people who are new hello and welcoming them. I appreciate that so much because... We are a family, we are all trying to do this together and so you are definitely needed and valued if you are helping in that department. Otherwise, if you do want to partner with us, you can help us also by hitting that like button. That will help to continue to spread these videos across the world. Also make sure you're subscribed, hit the notification bell because of course my videos do not drop at the same time every day and that is because I have been studying in real time with you for the past 389 days and as much as I want to get ahead, I can't. (laughs) If you want to pray for me to be able to get ahead, I covet those prayers. I want to get ahead, but unfortunately, it just has not happened yet, so I appreciate you waiting for these videos to come out in the evening. If you are a person who likes to study in the morning, and you absolutely need to be on the exact day that the reading plan says, you can always check out last year's videos, although I kind of cringe because sometimes I think, what did I say last year? I don't even know. Anyway, also, you could check out the description box for any info that you need, or head on over to our website, heart.com otherwise today we are in Genesis chapters 35 through 37 where we will begin to unfold the life of Joseph now one-fourth of the entire book of Genesis is centered around the life of Joseph so this is huge it's something to pay attention to and Many times his life will serve as a picture of Jesus. So keep an eye out for that today. Otherwise, let's go ahead and pray as we prepare our hearts to open up the word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. It is such an honor, Lord, to be able to be in your presence, to be one of those who have been welcomed into your kingdom and into your family. We don't take that lightly. We don't take it for granted. So we thank you, Lord, for this family, for this time of fellowship, but most of all for the fellowship with you. And so I pray that it will be holy and set apart, distracted. Action-free. And Lord, as we open up the daily manna, the logos, the word, God, will you breathe new life into it for us? We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will reveal new things to us, but do so with accuracy, Lord. Help us not to listen to the voice of ourselves or the enemy or anything else. We only want to hear from you. And so we just ask that you silence all other voices and allow yours to rise up in frequency so that we are able to hear it clearly. And if there's anything that you're trying to do by way of God, Guiding our lives or trying to correct something or maybe just encourage us I pray that we will hear that clearly as well so let the scales fall off of our eyes today Lord let our ears be open in tune with you and let our hearts be open most of all so that when you do start to plant seeds it is ready to be cultivated. And we know that in due season, when your time is right, it will be done here on earth as it has been written in heaven. So we thank you, Lord, that you know the beginning from the end, and we put our full trust in you. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to forgive others. And I just pray, Lord, that you will have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting off in chapter 35, so God said to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So, he's once again calling him to return to Bethel as he called him before. Now, this is the first demand that God is actually calling for an altar. Everyone else did it on their own. God here calling Jacob to build one. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your clothes or your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Now, where did they get all of these foreign? gods and earrings and all these things, it was likely when they plundered the town. Remember when Simeon and Levi went into Shechem, killed all the males, took all the women and children, and so they took all of the goods from that town as well that's likely where they got it. And thankfully, Jacob knows what he needs to do. I mean, God has called him to get up and go, but he's carrying a whole lot of extra baggage here. You know how like when you travel and how frustrating it is whenever you get to the counter and put your bag on the scale and then the agent tells you that you're like five pounds over and you have to figure out how to shift around things or get rid of some stuff. And it's the same way with us. I mean, I thank God that he doesn't require us to clean up our act before we board the plane. But if we want To soar to new heights, if we want to take off with him, we have got to purify and to change our outfit the same way that Jacob is demanding of his family. And he does the smartest thing he buries the idols. It's not a momentary shifting of the items from one bag to another just so that he can take off, it's completely ridding his bag of the things that he knows is going to hold them back or drag them down. So, heart check what's in your bag that needs to be buried? What extra weight are you carrying that might be holding you back? Verse 5, and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, probably because of what happened in Shechem, but also because this was God's supernatural way of protecting them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel. Remember he renamed it Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with them, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, which means God, house of God, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So here we see another step in the spiritual transformation of Jacob. He comes back to the place where God met him originally, and he renames it by adding God, the name of God, to the house of God. Why did he do that? Well, I believe it's because he realizes that it's not just about the house, it's about God Himself. He's coming back to the heart of worship. And sometimes we can get so wrapped in the thing that we lose sight of the source. This is why you will see a massive boost of numbers of people coming to church and Bible study in the beginning of the year, because they're looking for a restart in their lives. They're looking for something to change. And we will get thousands of comments of how excited people are. And then three weeks later, radio silence, people falling off, the numbers not growing as quickly. And that's okay. But sadly, many people will go to church or Bible study seeking happiness, but then when people fail them, they get angry and they walk away. Or they'll come to Bible study, and then the moment they read something that's boring, or they begin to feel like they just don't get it, they stop coming, That's not you guys, of course, because you're still here, obviously, but we have to remember that church and Bible study, that's not God. The pastor, the worship leaders, they're not God. So if we're seeking for that to be our fulfillment, we will lose interest. So heart check, when you go to church or Bible study, are you truly seeking God or just something or someone to make you happy? Verse 8, and Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So, he called its name Alan-Bakuth, which means Oak of Weeping. So, he must have been pretty close to Deborah, I'm thinking. If he's calling this the Oak of Weeping, he's probably pretty sorrowful here. Now, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from and Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. So here we see God reminding Jacob once again of his new identity. He's calling him by his new name. And it's often the times when we come back to the heart of worship, when we come back to the house of God, when he will start to reveal who he is and who we are in him and whose we are. It's in those special places, in those pockets of time, that those Layers will just start to peel away. Verse 11, And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So once again, reaffirming his promise. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. Now, this is a rare ascension that is spoken of here in the Old Testament which is showing us the picture of God actually going up to heaven. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. And I just think, why, why are you leaving? Well, when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Onai but his father called him Benjamin. So, ben means son of my sorrow, or some say it means son of my strength. I'm leaning towards son of my sorrow because I can only imagine that as she is on her deathbed about to breathe her last, how much sorrow it is bringing to her life that she will not be able to mother this child. But his father renamed him, calling him Benjamin. Benjamin means the son of the right hand. Now, biblically, The right hand speaks of strength or a special place. If you think about where Jesus sits today, he sits at the right hand of the father. And so Benjamin obviously being put in a very special place in the family of Jacob. And I can only imagine what his brothers are thinking. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So she does not get buried by Abraham in the cave of Machpelah or by Isaac. And sadly, she'll be the only one of this family who isn't buried in the cave of Machpelah. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. And Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Now notice here, it was Jacob, who buried his wife, but Israel, who journeyed on. So, you will notice the flip-flopping between the names of Jacob and Israel, and it's purposeful. There is intent behind it. He will refer to Jacob when there is fleshly tendencies or moments of doubt or faltering or weakness in the faith, but when he is being faithful and when he is walking in godliness or in the flow of God, he will be referred to as Israel. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilha, his father's concubine. What is going on? And Israel heard of it. Now, this just seems like a random sentence here right in the middle of all of this. I don't know why Reuben did this. I questioned it, and some of these scholars have said it may have been because he was jealous of Benjamin's special place, and so he was, in a sense, trying to flex a little bit, trying to take his rightful place as the firstborn making sure that he will always be the rightful heir, or it could have been his way of saying, I'm going to succeed my father. I am the firstborn. I've got that right. But what we will see later is the consequence of him actually losing that potential blessing. Now, the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah. So, again, speaking of losing blessings, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi will, in a sense, be disqualified because it will be through Judah, through his tribe, that Jesus or the Messiah comes. Issachar, Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali. Eli, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So when it says he was gathered to his people, again, this points to the fact that. There was an afterlife, and sadly here, we see Esau and Jacob coming together only in the time of their father's death, much like Isaac and Ishmael. And now in chapter 36, we will see an account of Esau's genealogy. Esau, just a reminder here, typically represents the flesh. And how do we deduce that? Well, because the flesh will oftentimes demand satisfaction. Like, I need it, I need it now, the way that he needed that stew right now. It is where old nature, our old habits are rooted or are sitting. And it is the thing that is constantly wrestling with the spirit. So these are the generations of Esau, that is Edom, which Edom will be the place where they settle. They'll be known as the Edomites. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, a very unwise thing going against his parents' wishes. Ada, which means ornament, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Aholabama, which means my tent is a high place. Apparently she was a temple prostitute, possibly the one renamed Judith. I don't really know. I didn't spend a lot of time here. This is just what I was reading with the things I had on hand, so you can let me know otherwise if you find anything else. So Oholibama, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibian, the Hivite. So Ana means sing, and Basimath, which means fragrant. Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And before we move on to the children that came, you'll notice that in Genesis chapter 26, there was the one named Judith, the daughter of Birai, and Basimath, which was the daughter of Elon. But here in this chapter, the daughter of Elon says her name was Ada. So at some point, the name was changed. And then also we saw in chapter 28 that he took Ishmael's daughter, Malath, and her name means sickness. But here, the daughter of Ishmael is referred to as Basimath. So you can see the changes of names. Sometimes they would do that in order to kind of change the trajectory of the path that that person's life was on or the significance of their life. So I don't really know why. These names were changed. If you do have any information on that, we'll love to hear more. I just didn't get a chance to sit there and dive into that so much. So now we continue in verse 4. And Ada bore to Esau, Eliphaz, Basimath bore Rule, and Aholabama bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into the land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. So if this sounds familiar, remember this was the same thing that was happening between Abraham and Lot. So they are separating here. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. So this hill country of Seir is south and east of the Dead Sea. And by the way, Edom will be referred to 130 times Edom or Edomites. So that just goes to show how important they actually are, even though they will be at odds with the Israelites, but they still serve a very great purpose. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, ruled the son of Basimath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gadam, and Kenaz. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. This is noteworthy here because this will be the father of the Amalekites, who will also trouble Israel for a very long time. These are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholabamah, the daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zibian, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs of Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gadam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. These are the sons of Ruel, Esau's son. The chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholabama, Esau's wife. The chiefs Jeush, Jalam and Korah; These are the chiefs born of Ahulabama, the daughter of Ana, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. Now, I know that was a whole lot of names to get through and it's probably just going right over our heads, right? But for me, it's important for us to still read every single name. Because if it was important enough for God to have spoken it, it's important enough for us to reread it. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, Daishan, Ezer, Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Horai and Hemam. And Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shepho, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Anah. He is the Ana who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Ana: Dishan and Aholabama, the daughter of Ana. There are the sons of Dishan, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Kirin. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zayavan, and Achan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aran. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lote can, Shobal, Zibian, Ana, Daisan, Ezer, and Daisan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief, in the land of Seir. Now, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom. The name of his city, Dinhaba. Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Bozrah, reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place, the name of his city being Aveth. Hadad died, and Samla of Masrika reigned in his place. Samla died, and Shaul of Rehoboth on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shaul died, and Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar reigned in his place, the name of his city being Peu. His wife's name... Mehitabel the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mizahab. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places, by their names, the chiefs Timna, Alva, Jetheth, Aholabama, Elah, Pinan, Kenaz, Timan, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. Now, after all that is said and done, telling us who was in the land of Edom. Seeing that Esau had great wealth and possessions, he was blessed as God said he would be. Sadly, today, Edom is completely deserted. It's a ghost town. But we still see a beautiful picture of God blessing the one who was outside of the covenant. Chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. So, when we say sojournings, remember the land was promised to Abraham, yet he didn't take possession of it. It wasn't even fulfilled here in the third generation. And therefore, they are still considered foreigners in the land. And of course, this land, particularly being Hebron. These are the generations of Jacob. Now, Joseph being 17 years old, and it was very rare to state the age of a person in the Bible at a particular time. They would oftentimes say their age whenever they were dying, but not typically in the middle of their lives he was pasturing the flock with his brothers he was a boy with the sons of bilhah and zilpah his father's wives and joseph brought a bad report of them to their father now this bad report was likely an honest report even though it was bad in the eyes of the brothers, because they were probably being dishonest. So, Joseph, remember I said, is a picture of Jesus. He was all about the father's business, and he wanted to make sure he was doing it honestly. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, while this is Traditionally translated to many colors, scholars now believe that this could have actually been a coat with long sleeves or big sleeves. But when his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So here we see a classic case of envy or jealousy brewing. You see, Joseph gets the big sleeves and his brothers hate him for it. And this is a dangerous place to be because as we will see, what starts as envy or jealousy ends up in attempted murder. And even if we aren't out there conspiring to end someone's life in our envy or jealousy, we might try to slyly kill their reputation, maybe through gossip, or try to make them look bad publicly. And it's all in an attempt to make ourselves feel better, like crabs in a bucket. So heart check, is there anyone in your life who you feel the need to tear down out of jealousy or envy? And going along with this, I believe I told this story last year about the times that I would serve on the worship team and the lead singers, the ones who were leading the songs that day would always get microphones number one and two. It just was a logistical thing. And there would be so much sulking and pouting almost every weekend when some people didn't get the chance to ever hold microphone number one or two, they would get four or five. So in a sense, they didn't have the microphone with the big sleeves. They were placing all of their validation in a material object just as Joseph's brothers are, and all it is is a weapon of the enemy to try to distract from the true purpose or calling of a person, and he will make them overlook their own gifts that they already have possession of, and glorifying the gifts of everybody else. All the while, lessening the responsibility that actually comes with those big sleeves. You see, sometimes we think that we want the position or we want the influence, but we don't realize the toil and the hard work and the opposition and the attacks that come along with it. And God may not give us the big sleeves because He knows it isn't good for us. You see, the Bible says that He withholds no good thing from those who fear Him. So, we have to trust that if we are living in fear of God, then we are getting every good thing that is due to us. So, heart check, are you longing or asking for bigger sleeves? Have you considered what comes with it? And do you trust that if you should not get it, it's because it is not God's best for you? Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and it stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So, even his father is starting to feel the effects of what is going on with Joseph. And while the Bible never really speaks of any particular sin that Joseph commits, I always wonder if his public proclamation of these dreams were rooted in a little bit of pride. I mean, I can't imagine that he was that naive to the fact that his brothers would not receive this information well. And it seems as though he was gloating a little bit and trying to shove his favor in their face or at the very least, he didn't consider their feelings. You see, not everything is meant for public display. That testimony that I shared yesterday, it was something that my flesh wanted to post about on social media six years ago, but my spirit said otherwise, because that word was for me. It wasn't for everyone else. But the world today teaches us that every little thing needs to be made public. We need to post about it. So heart check, what is your intent? when you share your successes or favor in life. Verse 12, Now his brothers went to the pasture of their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? And remember, Shechem is a worldly region or city. Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers. This word well is the word shalom in Hebrew, which not only means peace, but it means well, or sound, or whole. So see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They've gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him." So now, here we see the jealousy and anger turning into the attempt of murder. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. And that actually translates to master of dreams, so they are really putting air quotes around it. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, remember Reuben is the firstborn, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit and the pit was empty there was no water in it. So, the brothers were probably thinking, good, let's throw him in the pit with no water. He'll die in a couple of days. Whereas Reuben is thinking, I've got a couple of days only to be able to come back and rescue him. So, we see a little bit of redemption in Reuben because remember where he had just slept with his father's concubine? So, it seems as though he is kind of wavering a little bit the way that Pontius Pilate did. Then he sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites were wandering Traders, And we will see the name Ishmaelites and Midianites used hand in hand. So, they could have maybe perhaps formed an alliance, but both of them are Arabs. That's what we know. Coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. So they're actually trying to make money now. Off of him. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, just the same way that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes as a sign of grief and mourning and returned to his brothers and said, "'The boy's gone, and I, where shall I go?' So, I don't know what Reuben's intent was, what he's trying to gain by saving Joseph. I don't know if he's trying to restore that favor with his father. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it up to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. So, sadly here, they're trying to take this symbol of what was a promise. On Joseph's life and they're turning it into the symbol of his death. Now a fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. So they're lying here just the same way that the religious rulers lied whenever they saw that the tomb was empty just the same way that the pit was. Then Jacob tore his garments again in grief and mourning and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days all his sons and all his daughters. And I was like, wait, he got more daughters? I thought there was only Dinah. Okay. Rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. So the son's lost the battle that they were trying to fight. They were trying to gain favor in the eyes of their father, and the father says, no, I just want to die now that my son is dead. Thus, his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So, Potiphar is usually the title for that officer. It could have been a eunuch or maybe even a harem official. So, we will continue the rest of Joseph's story later, and it is very much so a series of unfortunate events that eventually leads to a glorious ending with God's hand upon it the entire time. But let's go ahead and take a look at some of our deep dive questions. Do you believe Rebecca's words of, Give me a child or I shall die, and Jacob's curse of, Anyone who has the household idols will not live, played a role in her death? How can the purification process be applied to our lives today? What purposes do genealogical sections of the Bible hold? Do you feel Joseph should have held back from presenting his dreams? Do you believe he had ulterior motives by stating them? And why do you believe Reuben wanted to save Joseph? So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great plan that we see unfolding in front of our very eyes through the life of Joseph. Thank you for letting us see you, Jesus, in some of the things that he went through, It makes it all the more real to us to know that just as Joseph was a real person, so were you. You were mocked and hated and stripped of everything, and you did it all because you love us. And even when we've continued to nail you to the cross with our failures, you will still take us back with open arms just as Joseph will do with his brothers." Thank you, Lord, that you don't require us to clean up our act before you call us home. We're so grateful that you caught us in time, Lord. Please don't ever let us go astray or go backwards or in the wrong direction. I pray that we will go to the place that you call us to go to so that we don't make a bigger mess of our lives. Show us any extra weight or anything that we might be carrying around that we need to chuck out of our bags. We know that you are calling us to higher places, but that will require us to change our outfit if we truly want to be set apart and purified. Show us what we need to bury so that we can begin to walk a little freer and faster. And I thank you for continuing to call us by name, showing us who we are in you and reaffirming your promises through your word. Will you continue to peel back the layers so we can grow deeper and deeper in relationship with you? And as we journey through this life, Lord, passing through as sojourners, lead us in the way everlasting. May we take no detours. And in every season, I pray that we will be worshipers of you, our God Almighty. I thank you also for the life of Esau, especially in knowing that even in our failure, every single person matters to you. Every single word and name that you have breathed has a purpose and an intention for reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. We love how you will still bless the rogue child. We can all see a little Esau within ourselves, and so we are grateful to know that you still have a place for us. And we also recognize that it is through the Esau's in our lives where we will be strengthened in the faith and in our trust in you to protect us and to be our guide. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are full of compassion, always considerate of others' feelings. I pray that we will never gloat in pride, but always bring glory to you and not ourselves. Forgive us where we may have tried to take that glory, for we know it is not meant to be shared. So help us to remember that this life is all about You and that it is where we place our worship today. We love You so much and we do honor You and praise You and worship You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die, but I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth, because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven, of all my sins. So I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.